You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of his word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Good morning, Field Church. Welcome to worship this morning. I'm so grateful that you're joining us. Uh, My name is Pastor Chad Wiles, and I oversee our biblical counseling ministry here at the field. Um, And I'm thankful that I get a chance to to come before you uh, periodically and just walk through some different issues of the heart and help us to faithfully walk through that biblically. We started a new series recently uh, in our biblical counseling series that we do every six to eight weeks, focusing on life-controlling issues. And I wanna take just a second before we dive into our subject today to talk about uh, some exciting news when it comes to our new counseling ministry that we have launched called the Nehemiah Project that's focused on helping people find freedom and hope from the slavery of addiction and other life-controlling issues. As many of you know, we have, we have uh, leased a building and we're working on getting that ready to go. And then in the middle of that process, we entered into a global pandemic. But just like all things, God is in control of that and he has used that in order to help us think through how we can best help people even when we're not able to use conventional means. And because of that, we've launched an online version of our program. And so you can go to nehemiahprojectgno.org and sign up for that right now. And so if you have any family members or if you yourself are struggling with any life controlling issues, addictions, or anything of that nature, please check us out sign up. We have counselors ready and waiting to help you right now. So without further ado, we're going to jump into our subject today. And the subject we're going to be addressing today is one that is the underlining and the underpinning of every issue that we face sinfully. Um, And the issue that we're going to be addressing today is the issue of pride. Now, this sin issue is the basis of all sin, and it was the original sin that Adam and Eve fell to way back in Genesis chapter three. And so if you have your Bibles, follow along with me and jump over to Genesis three, verses one through five. And I just wanna read it briefly and show us how this issue started. And then I wanna spend the rest of our time working it out into how it affects us in our daily lives now. So Genesis chapter three, if you read it here with me, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." That temptation was the beginning of sin, that you will be like God. And Adam and Eve, not trusting God, decided that being like God and knowing and being all-knowing and following in the footsteps of Satan himself who wanted to be better than God was more desirable than trusting our Lord God. And because of that, sin entered into the world. And, And because of that, that is the basis 
of all of our issues that we see is the issue of pride. It breaks the first and most important commandment. We see in Exodus 20, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. See, pride by definition is self-worship. And it breaks that most important commandment because we're worshiping ourselves and creating other idols in order to worship ourselves over worshiping and trusting God. And so it makes that very clear line that you either trust the Lord humbly and follow him in worship or in our own sinful flesh, in our own pride, we pursue other things. And that is why pride is the underpinning of all life controlling issues that we face. And so the subject of pride is covered throughout all of scripture. And today I'm gonna to do my best to, to be as exhaustive as possible and as helpful as possible. But to help us gain clarity, the passage we're gonna anchor our discussion in and around is James chapter four, verses one through 10. James four, one through 10. And so we're gonna look at the issue of pride together because listen, if you have sin, you have pride. And we all have sin, right? We know that's true. And if you have sin and you have pride, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna struggle with idols. You're gonna struggle with life dominating issues. You're gonna struggle with strongholds in your heart. And so I wanna look at James chapter four that starts to illuminate what this looks like, how it plays out, and one very clear warning. And then we'll dig into uh, what pride may look like in our own lives. So if you will read with me, James chapter four together. If you have your Bibles, turn there right now. And let's read together James 4, verses 1 through 10. It says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so we see this issue of pride and we see three main points that I wanna bring out and within that guide us through our discussion today. The first point that we see in James chapter four is the characteristics of pride. The characteristics of pride. We see this as we walk through, starting in verse one, we see number one, conflict, where he says, what, what causes quarrels? What causes fights among you, right? What makes you war? It's because your passions war within you. You desire to not have, so you murder. It takes you even to the point of killing one another. We see pride is the, is the underpinning of conflict. Number two, we see coveting in this passage. You covet and cannot obtain. You're jealous over what your neighbor has. You want what he wants. You want it for yourself, selfishly. Number three, we see self-reliance as we walk through this, this uh, verse here. You see, you, you do not have because you do not ask. Self-reliance, I don't ask anyone. I don't seek help from anyone. I don't look to anyone else for, 
for the help that I need, but instead I, I trust myself only. I'm self-reliant. Number four, we see self-focused prayer. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. That when you do go to God, or when you do reach out and ask, it's for selfish reasons, for to build your own kingdom, to, to have your own hopes, right? We see um, number five, self-indulgence, that same part, spend it on your own passions. That pride causes self-indulgence, right? I want what I want. We see number six, adultery. You adulterous people. God is talking here about looking to other gods, looking to other things other than him, which is a form of adultery, but this also causes the adultery in your own homes, in your own marriages, to lust after something else that you do not have because you feel like you deserve it. And we see number seven, friendship with the world. Friendship with the world, we're called not to be of the world in the scripture. You know, many of us, we ask the question, and it's a wrong question to ask, and it really reveals the heart of pride. We ask the question, where is the line? A lot of times when it comes to sinful things of the world, we'll ask it in such a way of, well, where is the line? How far can I go before it's wrong? And that's the wrong question altogether, and that's usually a re revealing a prideful heart. But the real question is, does it honor God? When I'm thinking about things in my life, I should be asking the question, does it honor God? Because my motivation for my heart should be to, to worship and honor God alone. But that if I'm asking any other questions, it's, it's usually showing that I'm trying to be a friend to the world and that I don't want to follow God. And then number eight, opposed to God. We see here the enemy of God, or that, it, that friendship with the world is enmity. Enmity meaning to be actively opposed. And I want to just encourage you that you may say, oh, I'm not, I'm not opposed to God. Like I, like, I want God in my life and all this stuff, but I just want to tell you just as someone who loves you, as one of your pastors, that wanting God on your own terms and in the way that fits into your life is rejecting God. Because that's a heart of God is, God is supposed to be God. He is the one in control. He is the one who, who we follow. We submit our lives to him and we ask the question, what do you want? We don't ask the question of how do you fit into my life and give me what I want. That is not the way that the Bible tells us that we should be. And so therefore, that is also opposing God. And so we see these characteristics of pride in this passage in James chapter 4, which leads me to point number two. And I know I'm going kind of quickly, but we're about to get to something that's going to take most of our time. Number two, the result of unrepented pride. The result of unrepented pride is God is in direct opposition to you. God is in direct opposition to you. See, as much as we hate to admit it, we all have pride. And if we, we stay rooted in that, we are doing what this passage talks about where it says God opposes the proud. I don't want God to oppose me, but we all have pride. At the end of the day, we all wanna be a hero of our own story. That's a temptation for all of us right? We can't help but see our lives through our own selfish lenses. That is just something that is in us, ingrained in us because of our sin nature. The question should not be, do I have pride? The question should be, where do I have pride? The key to freedom here is to begin to be honest with ourselves and to look, and to look into 
the recesses of our hearts and ask ourselves, where do I see pride right now? And I want to help us. You know, when I looked, when I was looking to study um, for this, uh, I was looking and and I found some different definitions of the Hebrew language and of the Greek that helps us understand what God is talking about when He talks about pride. In the Hebrew language, there are six different words that are used for pride, and they all convey a lifting up, a highness, a magnific- mag- magnification, a presumptuousness, rebelli- rebelliousness. All these things are resu- like that's what all those words in the Hebrew language are trying to, to, to teach us. And in the Greek language, the words for pride are in two different categories. One group suggests to magnify or to be haughty, which which also lines up with all the Hebrew words for pride. But there's this second category in the Greek language that conveys blindness and even suggests the idea of being enveloped with smoke. And so what this tells us is pride is very tricky. Pride has many different faces and forms. And sometimes it's so ingrained in us, we don't even see how it's manifesting itself in our worlds, right? Sometimes it even hides behind seemingly good things with the wrong sinful motive. And so it's hard for us to even point out the sin of pride in our own lives. It's a blind spot. And blind spots are blind spots. You can't see them. And we need help to see them. Richard Baxter, a great Puritan writer, says this. He says, Pride is so undiscerned by most that it is commonly cherished while it is commonly spoke against, which seems two opposing thoughts there at the same time. It's so undiscerned, it's so undefined that in one moment, in one breath, we're cherishing the ideas of pride and boasting and patting ourselves on the back and at the other moment, we are um, speaking against pride. We are calling pride out. We are, we are hating the results of it. And so pride is something that needs to be defined and my goal today is not only to help you see the issue of pride and define it for us, but I want us to be able to see all the different forms of pride in order to help us diagnose our own hearts, right? So the rest of our time is gonna be treated as more of a counseling workshop to give us practical tools to discover the pride in our own hearts and to repent so that we wouldn't be, that God would not be opposing us, but that we'd be able to draw near to God in humility and, and true humility and to be the humility that's found in Christ. To do that, we're gonna use Dr. Stuart Scott's tool from his booklet, From Pride to Humility, A Biblical Perspective. Dr. Scott was one of my counseling professors back in uh, Southern Seminary, um, and he's one of the best uh, authors and champions of biblical counseling that I know, and so this is one of the greatest tools that I've ever used in my own life, as well in the lives of others as I Uh, have counseled over the years. He has done a great job of putting an exhaustive list together of how pride comes together in order for people to be able to see and see where it is in our own lives. And so we're gonna do that today together because I believe it's the most helpful and the most loving thing that I can do for us all so that we would not be in that position where God would be opposing us, but that we'd be able to see our sin of pride, repent of that, and draw near to God. So some encouragements before we jump in uh, to these subjects of pride. One, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. I know it's very tempting to blame shift or to not really have a clear perspective on who we really are, to protect our own hearts and 
to be, not to be vulnerable and not to feel ashamed, but don't do that. That's not gonna help. And this is a tool that's gonna produce freedom because in Christ there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. So I encourage you to be honest with yourself. Honesty is the key to freedom. And so I encourage you to be honest this morning. Number two, as we go through each of the manifestations of pride, take note of the ones that you see in your life. Use this as an opportunity to, to put up a mirror to see the blind spots that you can't see. So I encourage you, as we're going through this, make note, write them all down, star the ones that, that you see in your own life so it can give you a tool to begin to work and repent. Number three, if you be so bold, after service, either with your spouse, with your roommate, or with a friend, ask them what they see in you and have them help you see your blind spots. Um, I know that's scary to do, but it'll be so helpful to you in order to really be able to see the truth of, of your own heart so that you can repent. And so I, I, I say, if you're so bold, do that. I encourage you to do that. And do that with someone who loves you, who isn't out to get you, that they, they wanna see you succeed and grow as well. And it'll be a, a helpful exercise. <clears throat> Last but not least, this is more of a warning. Please do not evaluate others or blame shift in your mind as you're going through this list. It's gonna be so tempting as I read through these different ways that pride shows up in our hearts to think about someone you know and begin to think in your mind, that's just like them, that's who they are. Don't do that because you have your own pride and that's not gonna be helpful. And sometimes we trick ourselves to protect ourselves, to blame shift, even in our own minds. Let me just encourage you, don't do that. Because today, our goal is to see those areas so that we can repent and so that we can draw near to God and the promises he's gonna draw near back to us. And so this should be a helpful time, not a time of condemnation and shame. And so without further ado, I wanna pray for us before we get started, that God would open our hearts, help us to have sensitive hearts and come before him humbly and being honest with ourselves as we walk through this together. So will you pray with me? Father God, I just come before you and I ask that as we work through what your scriptures say about pride, God, that you would convict us and open our eyes to it, but that it would produce in us a godly conviction that would lead to repentance. That it wouldn't be a sorrow like the world sees that wants to make ourselves feel better or cover up, but that we know we can come before you boldly and that you're gonna be gentle with us, even, in the, even in, the, in the conviction that you're gonna show us, God, that it is for our good and for your glory, and it's gonna produce the fruits of the Spirit, the joy and the peace and the patience and the comfort and self-control and all the things that you promise us from your Holy Spirit, God, and we run to that and we cling close to you, God. I pray that that would be the spirit as we look through these together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm gonna go through these rather quickly. Each one of these could be a sermon of its own right, so I'm just gonna hit them fast because there's 30 of these things, so we gotta get about the work quickly. So here we go. Number one, complaining against or passing judgment on God. In times of trial, a proud person may think, look at what God is doing to me after all I've done for him, or how could God allow this to happen to me? We see in Romans 9, 20, Paul says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? 
Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? We gotta be careful not to look at our life and our circumstances and blame God that he's wronged us in some way. He is God, he knows what he's doing, he is sovereign, he is good. And so we gotta be careful of that pride of complaining against or passing judgment on God. Number two, a lack of gratitude in general. A proud person may think they deserve good things. This type of pride is characterized by consistency in being critical, complaining, or being discontent. Not, this person's not in the habit of being thankful towards God or others for the things they have and the gifts they've been given. We all know people like this. We've all been this person to where wish we had something better or I want that new house, I get the new house, now the new house isn't good enough, I need something more. We've all been that person. And this person is hard to serve. Um, Dr. Scott leads us to look at Hezekiah here in 2 Chronicles 32, 24 through 25. He says, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. And so we have to be careful. If, if our hearts are showing a lack of gratitude, that's, that's revealing pride in our own hearts. Number three, anger. A proud person is often an angry person. We see anger manifest itself in a, in a few different ways. Outbursts, maybe it's withdrawing, pouting, or being frustrated. I, I know I've said those words. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Frustration is just anger. The anger tends to be brought on when people, when the proud person feels his or her rights or expectations are not being met. Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon shares this, Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. We've all been foolish, and anger does not produce the righteousness of men. So be careful. Number four, another manifestation of pride is seeing yourself as better than others. A proud person is usually on top looking down on others. Little tolerance for the differences of others. Proverbs 30, 13 through 14 says, there are those, how lofty their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Um, and so we see pride manifest itself in this way. Number five, another way we see it is having an, an inflated view of your importance, gifts, and abilities. Many proud people have a very wrong perception of themselves. They feel special because of their skills and talents. And we gotta be careful about this because what do you have that, that God didn't give you, right? What talent, what idea, what skill, what abilities do you have that God did not give you? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? God is the one who's given us everything. And so be careful not to boast about your abilities. But number six is equally as dangerous, being focused on the lack of your gifts and abilities. Being focused on the lack of your gifts and abilities. Some proud people may not come across proud at all. I call this the underbelly of pride, the one that you don't always see as pride, because they're always down on themselves. This is still evidence of pride because one is focused on self and wants self to be elevated, 
just sad that you're not elevated in the way that you want to be. They tend to have a woe is me attitude, which is just self-pity, which is pride. Insecurity is pride. Self-pity is pride. And so usually things like depression, anxiety, all these things that come out that don't seem prideful are rooted in pride. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 18, Paul says this, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Number seven, perfectionism. Perfectionism. People who strive for everything to be perfect often do so for recognition. They may do it in order to feel good about themselves. Whatever the reason, this behavior is very self-serving and proud. The basic issue with perfectionism is making things that are less important, more important than God and others. Matthew 23, 25 through 28, Jesus sheds a light on this very subject when speaking about the Pharisees. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and are all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Number eight, talking too much. Like, what does that mean? Well, proud people who talk too much often do it because they think what they have to say is more important than what anyone else has to say. Where there are many words, sin is generally unavoidable. Proverbs 10, 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Conversely, number nine is talking too much about yourself. Talking too much about yourself. A person who is proud may center on themselves in, in conversation, sharing personal accomplishments and good personal qualities with others can be bragging or boasting. It's not bad to share, but you do not always you do not always need to put yourself in the best light. That's dishonest. And do you share your struggles as well when you're sharing, right? And the verse for this is the same as above, Proverbs 10, 19. We have to be careful that where there are many words, trans transgression is not lacking. Number 10, seeking independence or control. Seeking independence or control. Some proud people find it extremely difficult to work under someone else or to, to submit to an authority. They have to be their own boss. They have the attitude of, I don't need anyone. I don't need to be accountable for my life. I don't need discipleship or to share my struggles. I'm fine on my own. Listen, God has designed us to live out our faith and community, and this is a prideful rejection of God's plan for the church. I don't know anyone who doesn't need someone to help hold them accountable or that they don't have areas they still need to grow in when it comes to God's word. And so to have that attitude to say that you don't need that is very dangerous, and be careful with that. Galatians 1.10 says, um, or sorry, Titus 3.1. Yes, 
Remind, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Number 11, being consumed with what others think is a manifestation of pride. Being consumed with what others think. Some proud people are too concerned with the opinions of others. Many decisions are based on what others might think. Some are in continual pursuit of gaining the approval and esteem of others. And this is pleasing man, not trying to please God. Galatians 1.10, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We're to please God, not man. Number 12, being devastated or angered by criticism. Being devastated or angered by criticism. Proud people usually struggle a great deal with criticism. Such people cannot bear that they are not perfect or have weaknesses because they cannot accept who they really are. Listen, Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Excuses impede progress. Don't be this person. Let, when someone's sharing with you something that they see that is wrong, especially biblically, take heart. Listen, it's for your good. It's for help. Number 13, being unteachable. Being unteachable. Many proud individuals know it all. In their mind, they're superior. They can't seem to learn anything from someone else, and they respect no one. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom in the future. This person tends to be a constant critic. But listen, a humble person is easily edified. And so if someone's sharing with you the Word of God or you're learning from uh, the Word of God, you should be excited to gain wisdom. And some, even watching right now, are thinking to yourself, I could probably teach this better. Maybe you could. But I would warn you to think about this idea of being unteachable. Number 14, being sarcastic, hurtful, or degrading is a manifestation of pride. Proud people can be very unkind people. Those who belittle other people usually want to raise themselves above others, constantly looking for those gotcha moments to make others look dumb and make yourself seem clever at their expense. Proud people tend to excuse themselves as just joking or that it's just my personality. But Proverbs 12, 18 tells us, There's no, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The Bible doesn't say that it's good for us to belittle others or to tear people down. And so we have to be very careful with this. And if this is a part of your personality, it may be something that needs to change. And I would argue that it should change based on the word of God. Number 15, a lack of service. A lack of service is another manifestation of pride. Proud people may not serve because they're not thinking of others or because they want to be coaxed into serving but don't want to continue if they don't hear enough praise. Needing recognition is a sure sign of wrong motives in service. In Galatians 5.13, Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another as we've been served. Number 16, a lack of compassion. A lack of compassion. A person who is proud is rarely concerned for others and their concerns. They cannot see beyond their own desires. Colossians 3.12, Paul tells us this, 
Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Number 17, another manifestation is being defensive or blame shifting. You often hear a proud person say things like, well, what about you? Anytime that you bring something to their attention, they're ready with, with everything that they see that you're at fault with. And this is a good tactic because we all have sin, and so they can always find something that you've done wrong as well. Um, but we have to be careful that this defensiveness is, is really a result of pride. Proverbs 12:1: whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And that's not my words, that is the words of Solomon. Number 18, a lack of admitting when you are wrong. A proud person has no lack of excuses for their behavior. I was tired, I was having a bad day, so on and so forth. Proverbs 10, 17 says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. We should readily admit when, we're, when we've sinned. Number 19, a lack of asking forgiveness. Proud people rarely admit their sin or ask forgiveness from others. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We should be people that regularly ask for forgiveness when we've sinned. Number 20, a lack of biblical prayer. Most proud people pray very little, if at all. Proud people who do pray tend to center their prayers on their needs and wants rather than on God's and others' needs. Luke 18, 10 through 14, Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exhausts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Number 21, another manifestation, resisting authority or being disrespectful. A proud person may resist being told what to do. We may call this person a maverick or a rebel, but it's actually just pride. The only time we should rebel against authority is if we are trying to cause if they are trying to cause us to sin or if they are sinning against us in, a, in an abusive way. I, I definitely do not think it's okay to submit yourself to someone who's abusive or sinning against you. But in other ways, we should be subject to, to those that God has put in authority over us. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17 says, be subject to, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it to be an emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should, put silence, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Number 22, voicing preferences or opinions when not asked. Emphasis on preference. A proud person may not be able to keep his preferences or, preferences or opinions to him or herself, and they will offer it when not asked and in areas that they have no expertise. These preferences are usually voiced without consideration of others. And social media and things like this has given a lot of power 
to people to have a voice, and that can be very dangerous. We have to be really careful about how we use these things. Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Number 23, minimizing your own sin and shortcomings. A proud person typically believes their sin is not a big deal. They think they have little sin and others have a great deal more. <clears throat> Matthew 7, 3 through 5 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log on your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Conversely, in, in 24, this is very similar, maximizing other sin and shortcomings. To the proud person, others are the problem. Often saying things like, if, it wouldn't, if, if you wouldn't do those things, then I wouldn't respond like that. They may bring attention to the sin of others by gossiping about them. And that same passage in Matthew 7 warns us not to be like that, to look at the, the log in our own eye first. Number 25, being impatient or irritable with others. A proud person might be angry with other people because they are concerned that their own schedule or plans are being disrupted by others. They're often inflexible on preference issues. Ephesians 4 warns us in 31 through 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. <coughs> Number 26, being jealous or envious. Often when they do not enjoy the same benefits, proud people have a hard time being glad for other success or blessings. That is not what God has shown us to be. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. We shouldn't be jealous or envious of others. Number 27. Using others is a manifestation of pride. The proud person usually views others in terms of what those people can do for them and their own interests. Their focus is not on ministering to others. Everything is far from them and about them. Many of, many of you view the church like this even, that the church is there to give you what you need and what you want, and as soon as it doesn't, then why should I go? But that's not how we were taught. Matthew seven twelve. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Number 28. Being deceitful by covering up sins, faults, or mistakes. Some proud people will do just about anything for others, not to find out negative things about them. May lie, wear masks, wherever you go, we call it, where you put on a, a front when you're in other places. But that's not helpful. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Last two, number 29, using attention-getting tactics. A proud person may try to draw attention to themselves through how they dress, bizarre behavior, being rebellious, always talking about their problems, anything to draw the light to themselves. 
First Peter 3, 3-4 says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Number 30, last but not least, not having close relationships. A proud people, proud people, often have no use for close relationships, thinking that the trouble outweighs the benefits. Proverbs 18, one through two says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We have to be careful. If you have a hard time being vulnerable and opening yourself up, it may very well be because of a pride issue. So it's easy to look through this list. I know that it, it, it's so hard. And when you look at this list, it can be very discouraging at first. But I wanna encourage you, it should not be discouraging, but encouraging because of the promise God gives us in his word. Remember James 4 that we just spoke about before we started this list. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That idea of rejoicing in our own sin and our own pride, it should bring us to mourning. Our pride should bring us to a place of repentance. But when we repent, God promises to draw near to us as we draw near to him. And that brings us to our third and final point as we close. God promises to draw near to us when we make him Lord. So you may ask yourself, well, how do we draw near to God? 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So a few things on this really quickly. Number one, be honest. Don't say you have no sin. If you've heard this list and you say, I don't have any of those, you're either Jesus or you're lying to yourself. And if you're not lying, I'd love to meet you. But you're gonna, some of these things are gonna be true of you. That's okay, be honest. Number two, confess your sin and repent knowing this promise that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all sin and all unrighteousness. For some of you, this may be for the first time. Maybe you're watching this and you're realizing that you don't have a relationship with God and you're far apart and, and you're just realizing how sinful you really are. Take that as a, as a grace from God who's drawing you to himself, that all of sin and fall short of glory of God. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23 says the wage of sin is death, but... The good news is the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, that if we put our faith in Christ Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness for the first time. And we were made new and we have a relationship with him for eternity. That's the free gift that we are offered. And so if it's the first time, I encourage you to put your faith in Christ, humble yourself, repent of your sin, and make him Lord of your life. If you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian, this is a habit of our life. It should be a regular habit that when we see sin and we're convicted of it, that we would repent. 
that this is an ongoing process, a progressive process of being sanctified and being made more like Christ. Number three, we see to renew, our, renew your mind in the gospel. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, speaking of Jesus, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we renew our minds in the gospel and then we put on the truth of God's word, number four. That's how, that's how we draw near to God. We be honest with ourselves, we confess the sin that we have, we renew our mind in the gospel and we put on the truth of God's word. And I wanna end, and what does that look like to put on the truth of God's word and to put on humility? How do we do that? Well, going back to Dr. Scott's tool, he also gave us 24 manifestations of humility. I'm gonna run through them quickly, but they're gonna be the opposite of what you just heard in pride. But this is what it will look like if we confess our sins and we, we turn to the Lord and we make Christ our Lord and we, we conform our lives to God's word, not making our lives about us, but about God. Here's what it should look like in our lives. And so use this as well as a time to say, how am I seeing humility being formed in my heart and coming out into my life? So, the manifestation of humility, number one, recognizing and trusting God's character. Recognizing and trusting God's character. A humble person acknowledges who God is and rehearses God's character often. In trials, he will even thank God for the reminder of how much he needs him and for all the good he is doing through that trial. Psalm 119.66 says, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Number two, seeing yourself as having no right to question or judge an almighty and perfect God. A humble person thinks God as his creator and himself as God's creation. He knows that his perfect and all-wise God can do whatever he pleases, and it'll be best for him. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Number three, a humble person focuses on Christ, focusing on Christ. The humble see Christ as their life and their first love. We say here at the Field Church, we treasure Jesus. There's no other thing or person that they may have. Through the day, they talk to and worship him often. Philippians 1.21 says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that was Paul's attitude, and that should be our attitude as well. Number four, Biblical praying and a great deal of it is what a humble person looks like. A humble people want to worship God and they see themselves as totally dependent upon God and his enablement. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, three simple words, pray without ceasing. Our life is prayer. Number five, being overwhelmed with God's undeserved grace and goodness. Being overwhelmed with God's undeserved grace and goodness. The humble person sees himself as truly deserving of hell. He is immensely grateful to God for forgiving him of so much. Psalm 116, 12 through 19 says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I'm your servant. 
I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Number six, being thankful and grateful in general towards others. Humble people thank God and others often. They expect nothing, so anything that is received is greatly appreciated. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Number seven, being gentle and patient. Humble people want to act like God, and they are not focused on what they want. They also want to love others the way God loves them. They are willing to wait and are not easily irritated. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Number eight, seeing yourself as no better than others. A humble person understands the sinfulness of his own heart. I know I do. He would never see himself as better than others. He understands that he, in and of himself, is capable of the worst sin. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is something that I wanna constantly protect myself against, and I fail this all the time but I'm no better than anyone else. I struggle and have a sinful, wicked heart just like everyone else. Number nine, having an accurate view of your gifts and abilities. Humble people do not bemoan the fact that they are not as gifted as others. Neither do they exaggerate their own abilities. Romans 12, three, for by grace been given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Whatever gift that you have, and we all have something to offer, it is good in the sight of the Lord when we do that out of a place of worship. There's no one better than the other. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. Number 10, being a good listener. Being a good listener. Humble people consider what others have to say as more important than what they have to say. They take an interest in others by asking questions and listening. Self is not their primary focus. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Number 11, talking about others only if it is good or for their good. A humble person will speak well of others, not negatively. He will convey something negative about someone only if he must do so in order to help that person, and he will only speak to that person, unless uh, following Matthew 18. Proverbs eleven thirteen. whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Number 12, being gladly submissive and obedient to those in authority. Humble people are first of all obedient to God and then to the authorities over them. Romans 12, one through two, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Number 13, preferring others over yourself. Humble people are willing to put others before self without first considering their own rights. Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We want to prefer others over ourselves. Number 14, being thankful for criticism or reproof. Being thankful. Humble people view reproof as good for them and consider that God may be trying to teach them something. None of us are perfect. Proverbs 9.8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Number 15, having a teachable spirit. Humble people realize they don't know everything, and even when they think they are right, are willing to consider that they might be wrong. They, all, they also know God can use anyone to teach them. Consider in Numbers how God used the donkey with Balaam, right? And they admire many people and have respect for many. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? We heard that earlier uh, today in our message. Number 16, seeking always to build up others. Humble people encourage others. They use only words that build up and say what is necessary for the edification of others. They never cut down. Ephesians 4:29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Number 17, serving. Humble people are on the lookout for ways to serve and assist others, and they are the first to volunteer for jobs that no one else wants. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Remember, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 18, a quickness in admitting when you're wrong a quickness in admitting you when you're wrong. Humble people have no problem with saying I was wrong. You're right, and thank you for telling me. Proverbs 29, uh, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Number 19, humble people have a quickness in granting and asking for forgiveness. Humble people are eager to forgive because they know how much they have been forgiven. They have no trouble asking for forgiveness because they want to be peacemakers. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, put on then as God's chosen ones. We've heard this many times before already today. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Number 20, repenting of sin as a way of life. A humble person asks God daily for forgiveness and works toward real change. 1 John 1, 9, we just talked about it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 21, minimizing other sins or shortcomings in comparison to your own. A humble person thinks about his own sin more often than he does in others. He also sees his own sins as more important to deal with than the sins of others. We've already talked about in Matthew 7, where we talk about looking at that um, plank in our own eyes, not looking to the speck of someone else. Number 22, being genuinely glad for others. 
Humble people rejoice with others when good things happen because they are aware that God has blessed them immeasurably and they trust God for what they do not have. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Number 23, being honest and open about who they are and the areas in which they need growth. Humble people are open and honest about their growth in the Lord. They ask for help and accountability in the repentance process, knowing they need their brothers and sisters. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, Paul talks about, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Last but not least, possessing close relationships. Humble people have friends and loved ones because they are friendly and love others. Acts 20, 31 through 38, we see this about Paul here. It says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they were much we- there was much weeping on the part of them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. At his friends, he was so close that they were weeping at his departure. Church, my hope for each one of us is that we would draw near to God and experience the grace that he has for us in Christ. That we would understand that God is the one who deserves our worship and that our lives would reflect the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer and my hope is that as we see the darkness of our hearts and the sin of our flesh, as you reveal that in your grace, that we would run to you, that we would humble ourselves before you, knowing that you're the one who has paid for that sin and that you give us freedom and hope through the gospel. And that we would see that you drawing near is the best thing that we could ever have and that we would want to be near to you. And so we would eagerly confess our sin and run to you, Christ. I pray that anything that that I have spoken today that is not of your word would be forgotten. But everything that is true, that is holy, would be remembered and that we would become more like your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.